walk in also with rings on his fingers saying, hey, we, we know how to get this done here. Welcome back to the Mainline Podcast. The full crew is back again, Corbin and Tyler, and we're joined by several new coaches as well. It's been a little bit over a week since Brent Venables was named the new head coach at OU, and I think there's still a lot of excitement around the board. So guys, how are we feeling and how are we doing? I'm doing good, Adam. Good to see you. Feels uh, feels like it's been a long, long time since we've gotten together. Um, and you know, we last time we recorded a podcast, Brent Venables was still circling uh, the the city of Norman. And boy, has there been a lot of stuff that's happened over the last week with uh, with coaches recruiting, players entering the portal, um, just all sorts of stuff. And we've got a lot to talk about tonight. But no, I'm doing good. Doing good, Corbin. Guys, you know, it's Christmas time. Starting to get in the uh, holiday spirit. We got. Uh... Girlfriend and kiddos upstairs watching the Polar Express. So we are uh, full Classic. Christmas gear. And uh, yeah, none of them have seen it before. It's weird, right? Um, but anyway, yeah, lots to discuss this week. It does seem like forever since we've had a podcast. So excited to get back and dive into what has been a crazy last, what, eight days, nine days? Yeah, here we go. It is funny because the last time we uh, recorded Brent Venables, the wheels had not even touched the ground in Norman. Uh, so we did that a little bit earlier, just an instant reaction to everything that happened with getting him into Norman. And uh, since then, uh, he's hired a few guys, not not everybody, which is kind of surprising and a little bit odd um, that he hasn't completed his defensive uh, coaching roster. But the offense seems complete. We haven't got any word as far as Kale Gundy officially, but it seems like he's recruiting the receiver or, uh, or coaching the receivers rather. That seems pretty much set in stone. Um, but uh, Jeff Levy, obviously the the biggest one there on the offensive side of the ball, really the only one on the offensive side of the ball, pretty much everyone else has stuck around, which is awesome. Uh, but Jeff Levy, the guy that I think a lot of people circled from day one as the biggest name out there from an offensive standpoint that could be brought to OU, and we got him back. And so a lot of people think, okay, that was who it was going to need to be for, for Caleb Williams to stay in town. Still haven't heard a definitive word yet, but Tyler, how are you feeling up to this point? You know, Brent Venables was the guy that I really wanted to be the head coach whenever Lincoln Riley left. That was the number one candidate for me, but I wanted Brent Venables to be the head coach, especially if he could bring Jeff Levy in to be his offensive coordinator. Um, We know what you're going to get from a Brent Venables defense, but when you have a defensive-minded head coach, then I think it makes the importance of getting the offensive coordinator position. I think the importance of that is just that much greater. Uh, and with you know Jeff Levy, you're talking about a guy that's only been an offensive coordinator. Uh, I think he's going on – he just finished his third season calling plays. Um, one at UCF, two at Ole Miss. But in all three of those years, guys, he's he hasn't been outside the top five. Uh, with his office putting up, you know, you know, total yards and from an efficiency standpoint. So, you know, statistically, they've even been better than what Lincoln Riley's put out here in Norman over the last two to three seasons. So um, when you look at a guy like Jeff Levy going back and looking a little bit at what Ole Miss does, you know, Levy's bringing an offensive scheme to Norman that is up-tempo, fast-paced, almost entirely RPO-oriented, which I think is going to be something very fun for us to talk about, for us to cover. Um, and, you know, when you look at Levy, guys, you know, he's been a coach that's been able to learn under guys like Art Bryles, Josh Heupel, Lane Kiffin, all of which do a great job uh, offensively, especially utilizing pre-snap motions uh, to try and confuse defenses and maybe take advantages of matchups. So um, I, I'm excited about the hire, and especially from not just a coaching standpoint, but I think if there's one thing that we've noticed over the last three to four days is he has hit the ground running on the recruiting trail. Uh, and I think that that's going to be uh, just as important what he does as a play caller, what, what he does as an offensive coordinator, the fact that he can go out there and recruit that part of the country, um, all, all the more excited about it. You yeah, guys, I think regardless of the name of who ended up being the head coach of uh, Oklahoma, I think all of us were in agreement that it would only go as so far as who the coordinators were. Um, specifically, if it was Venables, you hit it spot on, Tyler. It had to be a name on the offensive side of the ball that would get us excited, not only for us as fans, not only for recruits, but for the team that is still in Norman on the offensive side of the ball. You know, the question is, does Caleb Williams, you know, believe in this product? Can he stick it with Levy over the next, you know, two to three years? Uh, You know, that seems to still be a little TBD. um, But my gut opinion says if he was going to leave, it probably would have already happened, I would think. 
Um, but you know what we're dealing with, you know, 18, 19, 20 year old kids. So who really knows, but should be exciting. You know, can Jeff Levy, you know, mesh with the current, uh, you know, OU staff that's still in Mormon on the offensive side of the ball. It's a question to be, uh, to be answered, but, um, yeah, I think it's, it's possibly the, probably, excuse me, the best offensive coordinator hire that we could have gotten, you know, that was out there. It's certainly interesting to watch the carousel that's really starting today, actually. A lot of guys entering the transfer portal, top-end QBs, uh, Bo Nix, uh, Spencer Rattler, I'm sure we'll talk about him in a moment, but a lot of guys that have been essentially playing musical chairs here. And so I would have thought maybe a week ago, yeah, if he hasn't left or gotten into the portal by now, he's probably not going to. But then today we had a whole bunch of guys jump into the portal. So now I'm kind of questioning that Mm -hmm. as far as well, maybe he will jump in and he knows he'll have a spot because there's so many openings across the country. But also at the same time, I, I really wonder if he wants to play for a national championship or have that at least that opportunity while he's in college. And realistically, I don't know where he's going to go that will, will give him that opportunity, potentially a, a Clemson or maybe maybe a Miami. I don't know. I'm just having a hard time putting it together as far as what options are realistic for him to win a championship outside of OU. And uh, he, I mean, you have to be excited about Jeff Levy and what he could bring to the table. I've heard some good things about him. I'm, I'm really excited to see, you know, what he can do in the sugar bowl against Dave Aranda and uh, in that defense. And I've heard some, some interesting things about how he finds what works and he sticks to it. And that's something that we really hadn't seen under Lincoln Riley. So that's refreshing to hear. Well, it's interesting going back and listening to some of the things that, uh, you know, Levy has said in his press conferences when talking about how he likes to coach offense. And I thought it was really interesting, too, the fact that he said that 90% of the plays start with the quarterback putting the ball in the running back's belly. So he's going to prioritize running the football. I think this year Ole Miss was ranked top 10 nationally. I think they were number nine uh, by the time the regular season finished in terms of rushing yards per game. And, you know, even though Levy and Ole Miss, they, they want to spread you out. They want to go fast. He prides himself. Uh, on the fact that he wants his offensive line to be the most dominant physical unit on the field. Um, So I'm very excited to see what it's going to look like, especially with this offensive line group getting a full offseason with Schmitty, which we'll get into that higher here in just a second. I couldn't be more excited about that. And hopefully Caleb Williams playing quarterback. You know, I I thought that uh, about a week ago, I thought that there were maybe three to four teams that that might be a good destination for for Caleb Williams, whether it's a – uh, like a Penn State, which we found out that Sean Clifford, he's going to be returning. Clemson, I'm not very sure. Sounds like you know they're going to ride it out with DJ um, and hopefully pray that last year was just a one-off. Um, LSU is still maybe kind of cause for concern. They obviously don't have an offensive coordinator hired right now. Um, if they could go get like a Joe Brady or somebody, does that encourage Caleb to maybe want to take a chance? But you know, Corbin, I think I think you're exactly right. The, with we're seeing so many more quarterbacks enter the portal. Bo Nix, you know, Zach Calzada at A&M today, Keem Slovis out at, out at USC. It feels like if Caleb was going to do it, he would have done it by now because there's only going to be there's going to be fewer and fewer quarterback spots um, as we move throughout the bowl season, move throughout the spring recruiting period. So um, we'll see what happens. But I think the fact that he hasn't entered the portal right now, I think it's it's a pretty good sign if you're an OU fan. Yeah, I think you both hit it on the head. You know, it's it's where does he go if Caleb does, decides to transfer? I mean, there's just no obvious choice. And even some of the choices they had before he made the decision to come to Norman, they're in the same position we are now, um, you know, with possibly lesser offensive coordinators and things like that. So I'd be surprised, I think, uh, at this point, if we saw Caleb leave. But again, who knows? Um, I just don't think he'd be playing in the bowl game, which he seems to be doing, if he was going to leave. That just doesn't make much sense. So I think there is an opportunity. We've discussed it before where Caleb realizes that he could be, you know, second to no one in this Oklahoma program. He decides to, um, you know, stick it around in Norman, but guys for as exciting of a offensive hire as we've had, we all had kind of had question marks about the defensive hire. Now, Ted Roof comes in, he's been at a, a lot of places. I think the, the pulse is that he could potentially get this program into some doors, especially on the high school level in the Southeast. Uh, there's certainly, you know, value to be had there. Are you all questioning the Ted roof hire? Are you trusting Venables? How do you guys feel about the defensive side of the ball? It's not the most inspiring hire. Um, I know a lot of people had to look up who Ted roof was. Um, I had some familiarity because he was head coach at Duke uh, when I was growing up in the Raleigh Durham area. So um, I believe I actually went to one of his games when he was still the coach there. Um, but man, like he, I guess if what we're, we're hoping for is a Brent Venables defense, he's the right guy. 
because Brent Venables probably went out and tried to get a hire of a guy that uh, was going to run his scheme, was going to say yes to everything Brent Venables said um, to instruct all the players and all the rest of the coaches in the ways that Brent Venables wanted, you know, instruction to be passed down. So I guess if you look at it in that sense, yeah, that's great. And yes, possibly you could have somebody that's younger, that's a more dynamic recruiter, but that guy's going to be hungrier to do his own thing, his own system and want more control eventually. And that may not be what Venables wants. So maybe it does sacrifice a little bit of the young recruiter um, aspect there. But at the same time, Ted Roof comes in with a lot of connections in the Southeast there that will open up the door, probably not for Roof to go in there and close things, but for Venables and Levy and a lot of other guys to, to walk into that door and really finish things. Yeah, I knew that we knew that Levy was going to be the guy. But when OU finally put out the press release announcing the defensive coordinator high as well, higher as well. I had absolutely no no clue who Ted Roof was, you know, and going up and look, doing a little bit more research on him, you're talking about a coach that has, bou- has bounced around a bunch of different schools, serving as both a head coach previously and as a defensive coordinator. And there, were, I guess there were a couple things that kind of stuck out to me when the hire was announced. I mean, number one, I asked myself, you know, who is this guy? Where'd he come from? And almost kind of having to ask you guys, really, that's the best that we could do with, obviously, we've seen the contract come out with Venables that he took way less money than I kind of figured he would, and we were going to be able to throw more money at these assistant coaches, particularly the two coordinator positions. Um, but, guys, on the flip side, too, this is a guy that was the defensive coordinator at Auburn back in 2010 uh, when they had a perfect 14-0 season and won a national championship. So that man can obviously coach. Um, I, I guess the the final thing that I'll say on it is you got to trust Brent Venables, and I trust Brent Venables. Um, plain and simple. BV is going to coach the defense. Uh, his fingerprints are going to be all over this, uh, what we do defensively. If Ted Roof, I think, can can be basically an extension of Venables, he knows what he likes to do. He's been with him for years. If he can coach the, coach the defense uh, and maybe free up some time for Venables to focus on a few other things that a head coach has to, to, has to prioritize, then, like I said, I think we'll be fine. My biggest question mark, though, like you said, can he recruit? We knew that Venables was going to be calling the shots on defense, and I was hoping that OU would use that coordinator position as an opportunity to bring in an elite recruiter. Can he do it? I'm not sure. You mentioned the track record that he has in the Southeast. Maybe he can get Oklahoma into some doors that were previously closed right now. Um, but, yeah, it's it's just kind of a, a head-scratching hire, and if it works, great. If not, then we'll look back on this moment and, and know. I guess one way to look at it, though, is that, yeah, he's the linebacker's coach, so that's where he's really going to focus his recruiting responsibilities. You really don't need a great recruiter there. You've got the head coach that is the best linebackers coach in the country already. So he just needs to open that door for Venables to come in and actually do the heavy lifting there. Um, And I don't think Roof's going to be here for a super long time. Um, He's really never stayed anywhere much more than four years. That's a really long stop for a Ted Roof. Is he a Ruffin McNeil? I think he can walk better. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. I was worried about more him being like a Tim Kish that just doesn't stick around anywhere. That's fair. I mean, yeah, Tim Kish, an era that we'd probably like to forget. But um, I, I guess initially I was kind of like, man, it's such a head scratcher. The more time goes on, the more I'm like, okay, I think this means Venables is more hands on. I think it, I think he's more hands on in recruiting. I think he's more hands on with strategy and, and, and coaching in practice. So how can you not like that in a sense? Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that's interesting too, uh, moving on to the safety position, and OU now has three coaches on staff that have at one time been a defensive coordinator, and that's you know Brandon Hall, the the safeties coach. Um, you know, back in two thousand three, he was a full time defensive assistant at OU, so he knows this school. He's very familiar with Brent Venables, what he likes to do with his schemes, and um, you know Brandon Hall, he's he was the Troy defensive coordinator and safeties coach for the last three seasons, and you know he also had his hands in special teams. I think it's safe to say we can expect to see that in Norman as well. I think that'll be a nice uh, breath of fresh air after not experiencing it last season. Um, but Troy had a top 30 defense. I think they had a top 25 passing defense. So I think this is a great hire for Oklahoma. Um, and if there's one thing that we've been, you know, kind of grasping for over the last decade or so, it's more dominant play from the safety position on the back end. So if we can get a guy like Brandon Hall to come in, uh, maybe change things up a little bit, then I think it could be a really good hire. Yeah, we talk about a guy, um, you know, who has the experience, like you mentioned, Tyler, but I think a big thing at the safety position that we've been lacking in the past few years is the recruiting side of it all, right? He's got to mm-hmm. be able to bring in some guys that not only can be coached up, regardless of how good of a coach he may or may not be, uh, if you don't have the athletes and the players to go out there and execute and perform at a high level, it's not going to matter. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see how he can recruit uh, that position in particular. 
Uh, obviously, Pat Fields is gone. DTY, he's coming back, right? Are we all in agreement there that he's probably coming back? Or he's not a senior, is he? He, he is a senior. I think he has his he COVID, has COVID year, year left yeah. still. But yeah. I don't know. I haven't heard anything from his camp yet. Yeah, so it'll be interesting. You know, that's a, a huge glaring position, I think, right now on, you know, can he develop some of the young guys, the underrated, um, you know, or not highly rated, excuse me, guys that we have on this team already. And then can he go get some of the guys that, you know, the Oklahoma, you know, program should be recruiting at the safety position. So time will tell on that. But again, I mean, guys go the complete opposite direction. Then you look at the defensive ends, Miguel Chavis, a guy who's an analyst, all of a sudden, you know, a defensive end coach at the University of Oklahoma. That was also a head scratcher. And the second candidate, or I guess the second coaching hire that I had to go look up who this guy was. Um, obviously not being familiar with him at all, but uh, you know he, he played defensive line for Clemson, I think back in 06 or 07. So he's played Division One football at this level. Uh, and then obviously he spent the last three years down in Clemson as uh, I think like a defensive player uh, development coach or something. So he's been around Brent Venables over the last three to four years. He knows what elite defense looks like. I think one of the things, even though he's unproven as a coach, if there's one thing that we've seen over the last week, he's not afraid to go out and recruit. And we've already seen – um, you know, whether it's uh, a couple guys that have decommitted from schools, a couple guys that, you know, were currently in this 2022 class that are sticking with OU. It's the fact that this guy can go out there and build those relationships, develop them with the kids and, you know, get them to buy into what OU is going to be doing moving forward. So obviously from a coaching standpoint, we'll see if he can develop them when they get on campus from a recruiting standpoint. However, uh, I like what we've seen from Miguel Chavis so far. Yeah, certainly a guy that you love the recruiting energy that he's shown so far, but he does have a lot to prove still. So mm-hmm. um, the last guy, I guess you could call him a coach, a strength coach, uh, Jerry Schmidt, a familiar name for all of us. I think one that a lot of OU fans are really excited about, uh, even though he was he was hated by a lot of fans uh, when he left OU back in 2017. But I, I think there's a lot of good things that are, are going to, he probably you know learned from A&M that he'll bring back. Uh, to Norman and A&M certainly was not a team that was accused of being weak or unphysical or not tough mentally or, or, or on the field. But any any concerns necessarily from either of you on this uh, reunion from Jerry Schmidt? I don't love the hire, to be honest. Um, you know, when he left, there was a lot of things about the way he went about the program that I thought uh, potentially turned some of the recruits off from the program. Um, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's not. But I think that was the that was the thought process. I think of a lot of OU fans that he was too crazy, too old school. Um, I think I'm probably still there. I mean, yeah, he had A&M's had one good year since he's been there. And granted, their offensive defensive line of play has been really solid. I'll give him that. But I mean, they weren't that great this year. Um, they obviously they beat Bama, but they've lost a few down the stretch. So. I question it a little bit, you know, the toughness is there, but then you go and lose to Mississippi State at home. I mean, so there's there's questions to be had about Jerry Smith, but I do think, you know, if you're looking for a guy to change the culture of the program from what OU's been over the past few years, which has undoubtedly been relatively soft, this is the guy to do it. Um, we'll just see if he's the long-term fit. Lincoln Riley's best team was back in 2017. We can all agree on that, right? Oh, yeah. And I think I think we can all agree that every year after Baker's final, final season, we got more talent on the roster, but the play on the field digressed, especially what we saw from this past season. And guys, a question to throw to you. What major thing did Riley do after the 2017 season? He ran Jerry Schmidt off and hired Benny Wiley. Um, Lincoln, I think, made a concerted effort to change the entire strength and conditioning program, uh, the way that his players were trained. And I think that when Schmidt left, Um, The toughness, the nastiness, the grittiness left this program. I love Benny Wiley, the person. I think he's a great guy. We go to, like I said, Adam, we've seen him in church. We've been around him before. But Oklahoma got softer as a program over the last four to five years. And it's no surprise part of it has to do with Schmitty being in College Station. I had guys that are A&M fans that reached out to me as soon as this uh, news was made public, and they were pissed off the fact that Oklahoma was able to take take him out of College Station and bring him back home. And like I said, in this entire coaching carousel, OU getting Schmitty back to Norman, I think is the home run hire and out of in all of this. And I think that this is the perfect moment for him to come back when you look at the fact that we're about to be going to the SEC in the next one to two years. The final piece of the puzzle that we have at this point is uh, Thad Turnipseed, which sounds like a character <laughs> from a Disney fairy tale movie, honestly. First team all name. First team all name. But 
this dude, the more you dig into him, the more interesting things you find out. Um, mm-hmm. And I love this hire because it allows Venables to be a football coach. And that's what coaches are great at. They don't need to be doing the business of college football. They need to hire someone like like Turnipseed to come in and, and run the, the business aspect. And we talk about it all the time. We say college football is a business. It's not you know this you know outside of academics pursuit at college anymore it is a mm-hmm. business and that's what turnip seed is really good at you know um, uh, from just some research you know he expanded the recruiting staff at clemson from i think three to about 40 uh, he raised them into the highest recruiting budget um, this was a little bit old stats so i don't know if it's been passed yet but in 2018 he had the highest in the country 2.9 million dollar recruiting budget did all sorts of facility projects and wrote raised money and different things like that um, just built the entire program essentially from just the off the field aspects. And so having him come into OU with the authority of, Hey, here's two rings to, you know, what I've won at Clemson. Here's how I did it. Here's why this budget is necessary. I think it's super important. That's coming to Joe C with a guy like that almost is more powerful than Lincoln asking for those things because he's proved it. He's done it at Alabama. He's done it at Clemson. He can really come with a ton of authority, and and I really love this. I think this is going to make a huge impact. It looks like he or go ahead, Corbin. Yeah, he might have more than two rings uh, coming from Bama and Clemson uh, to show off walking through that facility. Maybe more than just a handful. Uh, so, I think to me, Tyler, I know you think Schmidt's the the home run hire of this group. To me, it's it's that. Uh, I think this is a, a huge get um, because I don't think the the social media aspect. I think I think. Venables is a great in-home recruiter, on-the-phone recruiter, in-person recruiter, but all the extra that kind of still needs to happen. I'm not saying we need to go back to the Lincoln-Riley ways where everything was flashy and amazing and highlight videos 24-7, but I still think that's part of it. And mm-hmm. that's where I think a guy like that can come in and um, you know make a big impact in the program. And as, as Adam mm-hmm. said, walk in also with rings on his fingers saying, hey, we, we know how to get this done here. It was interesting going back and looking at, you know, turnip seed again first team all name going and looking at his his title his job responsibilities at clemson he was the director of player development freshman transition and external affairs now we haven't gotten an official announcement from oklahoma yet so at this point right now it's kind of unclear at this time what exactly his role is going to be but the fact that you know he's worn a variety of hats in the past and chances are his job title at oklahoma uh, will be very similar to the position that he just vacated at oklahoma and adam you hit the nail on the head much like Lincoln Riley and Annie Hansen did at Oklahoma with transforming OU's recruiting, kind of modernizing it, making recruiting cool again, he did the exact same thing at Clemson. So it's going to be really interesting to see what kind of impact, obviously him coming from Alabama and Clemson, he's seen two of the best blueprints in, in college football over the last 15 years. So it's going to be really, really fun to see the the, the handprint and what he can kind of put uh, on the University of Oklahoma and the impact that he can have on this football program and you know, people are calling him. He's going to be the chief of staff uh, under for Brent Venables. So um, I'm not sure if we're going to fill Annie Hansen's position, but would you can bring in a guy like that that can kind of um, maybe be the backbone of this football program and especially doing everything behind the scenes, free Venables up to coach and focus more of his time on that and not like what we saw from Lincoln Riley where maybe he had to spend too much time focusing on the recruiting trail and a few other areas. I think it's a home run hire as well. Last thing I'll mention on turnip seed is Clemson. Like you can't find Dabo Sweeney on Twitter. Brent Venables has a locked account. Um, Miguel Chavis comes in with a locked account on Twitter. So their coaches don't really have any type of presence, but yet Clemson had a social media team with higher follower numbers than OU, despite having a smaller fan base. Um, They have one of the like highest marks from engagement on their social media channels uh, across the board. And it's been that way for several, several years, going back even before their first championship. They have an incredible team there. So um, we have a great one at OU, uh, but we are still a few notches behind Clemson if you look at you know the sports business side of the world. So uh, I'm excited to see what he can do there um, and and not rely solely on just the head coach um, you know, from, mm-hmm. from a social media aspect. Yeah, guys, I think, you know, a few more positions still remain open uh, that need to be filled. Cornerbacks, defensive line, maybe another wide receivers coach, maybe. Kind of depends on how how Kale's position kind of filters out, right? I think that's still a possibility in my opinion. Um, Anybody that you're eyeing to kind of fill the final roles, it kind of feels like if they would have been um, not playing in the playoff or a significant bowl game, these guys probably would have already been hired. Is that a fair assumption? 
That's definitely kind of the way that it feels, which kind of makes it interesting for, um, for the defensive line coach. Really, the only name that we've heard of is Todd Bates. Um, Brent Venables bringing him over from Clemson, and Clemson, they're not playing in a meaningful bowl game. Yeah. Why is he not already on staff here? So maybe that's kind of cause for concern. And then quarterback position is a big one for me. Um, two guys, uh, we talked about how you know they, they're probably coaching in the playoff right now. That's why it hasn't been announced yet. Uh, but for me, you know, uh, Jamila Adai at Georgia is a really good one. Um, he's obviously got some history in the Big 12 at West Virginia and seeing what he's doing from a recruiting standpoint in Athens is fantastic. And then, guys, I, I've been saying this for the last three to four weeks. Uh, Jay Valai, the cornerback's coach at Alabama, um, I thought he should have been the defensive coordinator hire. If OU can figure out a way to bring him in as a position coach, um, which I'm probably is uh, is not very likely because I know that Saban kind of structured helps structure the contracts of his assistant coaches in a certain way um, that kind of prevents them from doing that. But you're talking about an elite recruiter um, that has ties to the state of Texas, deep ties to the state of Texas. So um, with OU going into the SEC, Texas, obviously we'll get into their NIL stuff here in a minute. You've got to bring in elite recruiters and it doesn't get much better uh, than Jay Valai uh, at Alabama. I think we're all in agreement here, but as it stands today, we've got a few open positions, but most of the staff is together at this point. Are we better off than we were on, I guess, November 28th, uh, as it stands today with, uh, from a coaching aspect? Not right now. No, I don't think we are. Um, it's impossible to ask a staff that's brand new to be at the level that a head coach was for five years with a full staff around them. So no, not at the moment. Uh, do I believe we're going to be better off a year from now? Yes. I think that the ceiling is higher for OU's program right now than it was two weeks ago. Um, and obviously it's unproven right now The fact because Venables hasn't been a head coach. He hasn't had the responsibility that he's about to have at OU. Um, but in my opinion, when you look at Alex Grinch, Lincoln Riley, and Benny Wiley, those three compared to Venables, Lebby, and Jerry Schmidt going into the SEC where you've got to recruit, you've got to be more physical, you've got to play a tougher brand of football, I think that the potential is there for OU to have upgraded at this point right now uh, compared to what we had from the previous cycle. But it's also kind of a double-edged sword because two weeks ago, nobody in their right mind, regardless of what they told you, would have said, we'll take Brent Venables over Lincoln Riley. But the fact that you throw in Jeff Lebby, you bring back Jerry Schmidt, I think that the ceiling is much, much higher for OU uh, than, than it was two weeks ago. I think Turnipsey is a big one, too. He's not a coach, but I think he's going to have a major impact on mm -hmm. the ceiling of the program as well. In theory, yes, I think this is a better staff, but we still need to see it proven. Uh, we need to see Venables as the head man. Uh, we have some serious questions, I think, about his recruiting style. And that's uh, one of the things that we actually took to Twitter earlier today, just asking, you know, uh, all of our followers, which we gained like 100 in the last 24 hours, which is insane. So uh, again, we say it pretty much every week, but it just keeps growing and growing. So thank you to everyone that's following us uh, at the Mainline Pod on Twitter. Um, but we did ask everybody, you know, what's the biggest key to success for Brent Venables? And I think the thing that came up the most essentially was the recruiting. Um, we'll read off a few of these. Uh, William Lorraine um, talking specifically about the transfer portal. He's not a big fan of it, but um, you know, it's, it's how things are right now. And we're seeing it even crazier this off season with lots of, of guys getting into the portal. Um, and I think there's still some uncertainty on whether Venables plans to use the transfer portal a ton. Well, it certainly feels like he's going to have to, um, obviously we don't know what, uh, what players after the bowl game are going to be left on OU's roster. Um, but I, I think that that was kind of the, one of the biggest things that stood out for, for me in his introductory press conference was kind of hearing his philosophy, how he approaches recruiting, you know, how, uh, uh OU, we're not going to be involved in the mega camps. There's going to be a much higher evaluation process before OU decides to go in on a kid. Um, and you know, he's, it, it's kind of the gentleman's agreement, I think is what he referred to. But when talking about how, you know, I'm not going to poach players from Clemson, or maybe I'm going to stay away from players that have entered the transfer portal. Um, if there's any program that's been more impacted than OU, it's Clemson right now. And the secondary, I think, is probably the biggest difference between OU and some of the other powerhouses in the SEC right now. And boy, would it be nice to have some of those Clemson defensive backs uh, playing on the back end in the secondary for Oklahoma. So I think that it'll be interesting to see how, now that Lebby's involved, and obviously we'll see once the other hires are made on the defensive side of the football, we'll see how the uh, recruiting philosophy, how he approaches that. But that's definitely one thing that I'm very, very interested to see what he does because you've got to recruit 
going into the SEC. I know that it's I know that you can say that it's a gentleman's agreement. I don't want to take players from Dabo when they when he recruited them to go there. But at the end of the day, it's a business. You got to win football games and you need the best players in order to do so. Yeah, that's what's been really interesting is, uh, you know, so far what we've seen is he's not willing to go after any of the guys he was recruiting at Clemson. On top of that, it seems like even some of the guys who have now decommitted from Clemson, he's still not going after. So Mm -hmm. I think um, it's hard not to have the whole nice guys finish last kind of running through the back of your head when you're viewing some of this stuff. I mean, I appreciate the the gentleman-like approach that that BV has had so far. Uh, But when we're coming from what Lincoln Riley just did to us, it's hard not to want to push and to go after some of these Clemson people, um, regardless of how long they've been recruited, what positions they've been at. Anybody on the defensive side of the ball, I think in any of our three opinions, would be free game for you know him to go after. But that's just – it's clear that that's not how he's going to do things. Could that set us back in this initial class? Possibly. Um, will it propel us forward, I think? Yeah, probably so as well. So I think it's something we're going to have to get used to for this class. I was very concerned after hearing him say some of those things about the 2022 class. I was like, oh, my God, like, is he going to throw out a single offer, you know, before a week before signing day? Um, And so far, they've been pretty active, uh, not only in the 2022 class, but also 2023 class as well. So um, it seems like there's some positive momentum, um, you know, for all the glitz and glamour that USC has had since Lincoln Riley took over that program. There seems to be a whole lot more excitement about what's going on at Norman right now. If you just look sheerly at uh, take away the flashy five stars, everything else points to a better program in Norman at the moment. Yeah. At Farmer Eugen on Twitter basically echoed that same sentiment as is his recruiting approach modern enough? I think that is a really good question. You know, can't he's not going to be able to bring all those different aspects that Clemson was really successful with straight to Norman and it's going to work right away. There's going to be some adjustment period because we're just, we ha- haven't really had that recent success that Clemson has. Uh, lastly from Twitter here uh, from Alexander Pina, uh, he said, you know, it, it, and he kind of brings up a good point that, that I really like um, making uncomfortable decisions when it comes to staff. Uh, we saw that with being a problem with Bob, not being able to let go of his brother, Mike, honestly, it's hard to blame a guy for that when it's your brother. Um, but you know, those are tough decisions that you have to make if you're going to be the head coach. And there's been a little bit of a getting the band back together type of feel, you know, back to the early two thousands with Jerry Smith coming back with Brent Venables being the head coach, uh, Venables, you know, being a very loyal guy and Clemson really having incredible continuity with their coordinators, unheard of continuity really from a program that's performing that well. Do you guys have any type of concern there as far as him having to make tough decisions later on down the road? No, I don't. Yeah, I, I think that I, I think that he held out for an opportunity like this to become a head coach, and I don't think he's going to do anything to maybe jeopardize the the possibility of having success uh, at a place like Oklahoma. Um, so no, I, I really don't have any concerns on that. On that, I think he's I think he's going to be able to do what Bob and Lincoln may not be able to, what they were unable to do. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, s- staff changes, hiring, firing, who, what needed to be done in order for the betterment of the program. Um, I think that, you know, my, uh, Bob holding on to Mike as long as he did probably cost us at least one national championship, um, if not two. Um, so, no, I, I think the Venables is going to be good. Um, one of the questions, and again, just kind of putting a bow on what we talked about uh, in the Twitter question when talking about some of the biggest keys for the overall success for, for VB to have at Oklahoma, there's really three things for me. One, it starts with changing the culture and the identity uh, of this football team. You know, Oklahoma football doesn't need to be um, the cute, flashy brand in college football like we saw during the Tebow era. Uh, it needs to be centered around toughness, uh, physicality. OU should be known for physically dominating their opponent. Running the football, the passing game is going to come after that. Number two, they've got to change the way they recruit. And I think that with some of the guys that they brought in on the staff, um, obviously, um, you know, Thad Turnipseed, uh, again, can't believe that's a, a real name. But they got to change the way they recruit. Stop getting the me guys because they're big, they're tall, they're fast. We're prioritizing stars over football players. Go get the dogs, the football players that want to win. Go get the guys that want to maximize their draft stock and sell them on the fact that, you know, coming to a place like Oklahoma, you're going to be coached by the best and you're going to be league ready by the time your comes to an end here at Norman. And the last thing for me, retain, retain, retain. 
The programs that stay on top of the mountain consistently are because their guys don't transfer out. You look at places like Alabama, look at places like Georgia, Florida, they know because there's so many four and five stars that come into that that come into each recruiting class year after year, they know that my time's going to come and I will make the most of the most of my opportunity. That's ultimately going to result in me ending up in the league. So I think OU's got to kind of take the Alabama approach, go get guys that are talented, but also guys that you trust can be developed into even better football players, and keep them on campus so that it's kind of like a pipeline. Once you lose somebody, you don't rebuild, you reload, you just shuffle that next guy right in there. And I think that those three will be a big factor uh, on the overall success that VB can or BV can have in Norman. Tyler, catch us up for anybody who maybe is, hasn't been on social media, who isn't following recruiting closely. There's a few big names, obviously, that should be announcing some sort of thing, you know, over the next one, two, three days, you know, with the mm-hmm. early signing period uh, happening on Wednesday. Catch us up. I know we've got, I think, five or six names written down. Who are some names that Sooner fans should be uh, keeping an eye out for here this week? Well, if you've been on social media today, Monday was a good day for Oklahoma. Uh, and it started at uh, or early this morning, Nick Evers, 22, four-star uh, dual threat quarterback. He's a Rivals 250 guy, number four quarterback in the country. Um, he decommitted from Florida last Tuesday, and Jeff Levy almost immediately uh, after becoming the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma does an in-home visit with Nick, offers him, and he has him on campus just a few days later. Um, he committed to Oklahoma at 6.30 this morning, which is kind of an interesting time, but it's, that, that's also kind of a really interesting um, guy because Oklahoma wasn't going to take a quarterback in the 2022 class, and now they had the number four guy in the country just kind of fall into their lap uh, two days before National Signing Day. So that's a big one for Oklahoma. We know Jaden Gibson, the other, uh, you know, he's a four-star wide receiver, number seven in the country. He decommitted from Florida. There's a lot of people saying that that's going to kind of be a package deal now that Nick's now that Nick's part of the class. And then, guys, the one that's been the, the most fun to follow, maybe the most stressful to follow over the last week or so, it's Kobe McKenzie, 6'3", 225-pound linebacker, uh, four-star out of Lubbock, number six linebacker in the country. Had been committed to OU for nearly two years, and then after Lincoln did what he did, taking Grinch, taking Odom with him, you know, Brian Odom was Kobe's guy. Um, they had a really, really close relationship. When he went, he decommitted from Oklahoma, took a visit to Texas the the uh, the following weekend, committed right after then, and then shout out to Coach Venables, man. We wondered, we wondered very early on, is he going to be able to recruit? Is he going to be able to go in and pull the elite talent to a place like Oklahoma? And shout out to Coach uh, to Coach Venables for knocking it out of the park. Had his had his in home visit. He got Kobe to come on campus over the weekend, and really the rest is history as he flipped back to Oklahoma uh, at, at noon this afternoon. So. That's a big gift for Oklahoma. You're talking about a guy that can be the anchor of this defense for the next two, three, four years. Uh, pair him up with Danny Stutzman. It's going to make OU fans really excited. The thing that I'm going to be watching, whether it's here on Wednesday or down the stretch in February, is what can we get from an offensive line standpoint? felt like we were in a great spot with several big-name guys from Texas uh, and other places around the country. And I just I I'm surprised at the effect that Lincoln Riley leaving has, has had on that because Beanbo is is still here. Um, you know, I think from what we've heard from a run game perspective, it should be a much more attractive running schemes for those offensive linemen. But yet, yeah, I know Tyler's giving us the money sign, some guys being paid. Okay, whatever. But like I don't think that they were getting paid with Lincoln Riley either. And we were doing pretty well from a recruiting standpoint on, on, on a couple of them. And we had a shot at some big names probably. So that seems to have really slowed to a halt. Um, I know there's a guy from Allen. I'm not going to try to pronounce his name, but uh, from Allen, Texas, that might be trending in OU's direction. We'll see, but um, we'd love to see some guys um, really come back our direction. Um, looks like the, the ship has sailed on Demetrius Hunter. I think uh, some forecasts have been put into uh, for him to Houston, which is strange. Interesting. So um, we'll, we'll see what happens there. But that's where my focus is going to be over the next uh, couple of days and a couple of months. I'm excited to see what happens with uh, Deshaun Brown, the lineman out of uh, Choctaw. I know there's a lot of recruiting analysts, especially the local guys who cover you know in-state who are really high on this kid. Uh, a lot of comparisons to, you know, how did Colin Oliver end up in Stillwater rather than Norman? We saw what he did throughout this entire season for the Pokes. Seems like Deshaun Brown's kind of got that same, um, you know, stigma about him where if you let him get away, he's going to come back and make you pay for it. Uh, but as of this weekend, he officially got the <laughs> offer from the University of Oklahoma. Does he sign in two days after, you know, I think he was on campus this weekend. Yeah. Um, 
does he sign in three days after that? That seems very unlikely. Uh, but contrary to, I think, most years, guys, the guys who decide to not sign Wednesday and give this um, coaching staff the time to fill the remainder of the positions to continue to recruit these guys, I'm actually not that against it. Um, so would love for all these guys to sign with OU on Wednesday. The reality is that's probably not going to be the case. I think that's going to be a trend you see across the entire country with how much coaching change has uh, happened over the past three weeks, uh, especially at the major, major programs. Um, so, yeah, I have no issues with these guys, you know, waiting out till February, give the staff some more time to uh, continue to beat down their door. and Hopefully uh, maybe won't be overly excited uh, this Wednesday on uh, the class as a whole, but hopefully by February we will be. Deshaun Brown was a guy that I'm, you know, really, really excited. You couldn't be happier for. He's been waiting on the OU offer for a long, long time. Um, you know, when Jamar Kane was still on staff here, we had Derek Moore in the class, and chances are we were probably going to sign Marvin Jones Jr. That's not the case anymore. So if you can add Deshaun Brown to this 22 class, a guy that's, you know, immensely talented, and, you know, we've heard it from his coaches, they're going to tell you that this guy has barely scratched the surface on what he can be as a football player. He's already gotten a couple of crystal balls. Uh, to OU, so hopefully Venables can lock him down. And then one last name to kind of throw back at you guys, um, Alton or Alton Tarber, uh, three-star defensive tackle, 6'3", 320 pounds. Another thing that's got me really excited about VB or BV coming back um, is we're going to start to see the frame and the size of these defensive linemen change, uh, which I know we've seen you know, guys playing on the line at, you know, 270 to 295 pounds, that's going to change under Brent Venable's defense. You're going to start to see the big boys back down there on the line of scrimmage, the 300-plus pounders, um, and that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. But Tarber's a guy previously committed to Georgia Tech, uh, committed to them back in August, and, you know, he's a guy that I know he's a three-star. People are going to look at that and immediately, you know, maybe be a little bit bummed out. But this guy had offers from Penn State, Arkansas, South Carolina, Miami. That guy can play, and he's the ideal body type for what Venables wants to do. And, guys, one last question to throw back at you, and we'll wrap up this recruiting thing. I think NIL is kind of kind of hurting OU. Now, from a, a class of 2022 standpoint, most of the blame has to be put on the fact that Lincoln Riley left the way that he did so close to signing day. But you can't help but look at, like, Kelvin Banks, Cam Dewberry, Cam Williams. There's two more offensive linemen they are going to commit over the next two days. Chances are they're going to sign with Texas or Texas A&M. OU is getting their butt kicked on the NIL front. Whether it's legal or illegal, what's going on behind the scenes, we've obviously talked about that a little bit, but OU's got to figure out a way to be more competitive because if there's one thing that we've seen from Texas over the last week, if you can't beat them on the field, spend as much money as you can to try to get them on campus and maybe we can win after that. Yeah, I think if you look at it specifically like a guy like Kelvin Banks, I mean, he's committed to Oregon. You know, Cristobal Lee is not as committed to Texas, but I don't think he's signing on Wednesday. He's waiting until February. So who knows if he's going to look for another NIL deal, you know, over the next couple of months just to keep racking up. I don't want a guy like that. I, I, don't. I don't either. And, and, and so I, I don't I don't mind that as much. But, guys, I think that was a question, you know, we, we thought going back when this whole NIL thing launched um, – you know, could OU compete at that high of a level? You know, do you go to a bigger city where there's more NIL opportunities versus, you know, a bigger city where there's more competition or an NIL opportunity as a college athlete? A place like Norman seems like a nice middle ground uh, to where there's not really any competition whatsoever. If you look at Norman, Oklahoma City, even up in Tulsa, yes, you've got Oklahoma State. Yes, you've got the Thunder, but OU football is a different brand um, in this state from border to border. So I still think we're in an okay spot if it, you know, if things continue to, to stay and trend and, you know, guys are getting a hundred dollar or excuse me, hundred K, you know, signing deals, uh, you know, for this and that, then we're going to have to have conversations with some big time donors, um, you know, on some of those fronts, but you know, what solves all this guys is just simply winning. And so far that is what this program does. And then I think they will continue to do. Maybe it takes a year or two to kind of get the, uh, the wheels rolling with this new coaching staff, but and until Texas starts to do it, sorry, uh, I'm I, not buying into it. I couldn't disagree with you more. Why? Texas just went five and seven. They're going to sign probably a top five class in the country. They're going to have the three of probably the top 10 to 12 highest rated offensive linemen in this class. Well, so how many it's, times have we heard that. Yeah, but what I'm saying is the play on the field has absolutely nothing to do with it. That's not why these kids are committing there. It's the offseason again, Tyler. I guess you're already on the Texas bandwagon again. No, I, no I, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that the, the fact that there are not rules in place, 
yet for this NIL stuff, OU is not going to be able to compete with the likes of Texas A&M in Texas that have the better resources in Austin, in Houston, in Dallas. So until you're able to kind of clamp down on what's actually legal and what's actually not, not necessarily right, but A&M and Texas are able to offer so much more from a compensation standpoint than Oklahoma is right now. And it's clear that priorities have changed for kids. They're looking at the short-term quick cash that I can get over the long-term development I can get and possible potential earnings I can get from playing at a place like OU and going to the NFL. You're right. You're right. These places have have out-recruited Oklahoma for the past decade. Yeah, and you're you're right, Tyler. Like A&M and Texas are going to be able to outbid OU. And for Texas, like I don't really care. That just feeds the culture that we know that isn't working down there anyway. So fine, those guys can go down there and make a million dollars each, and they'll still be seven and five because that culture is it, it eats players up, it eats good players and uh, alive. So I think as far as OU goes. We have the right guy in place in Venables that can help attract enough of the high character guys that are not looking for the quick sale. Um, there's enough of those guys around the country, but you have to get basically, you know, all of them or a good chunk of them to, to come to OU. And I think he's the right guy that can sell that to those higher character guys, you know, that come from, um, you know, a background that maybe they don't necessarily look for that cheap money right off the bat, but are looking longer term NFL style. And I think, as a fan base, yeah, we're not we're never really going to compete and say, hey, every lineman gets $100,000. Probably what we need to have a bigger focus on is let's support a guy like Caleb Williams that we have that is a megastar right now, and let's get him to the point that he's got a Lambo in his garage, and it's a cultural thing that you know all the biggest recruits are seeing. Um, think back to, I know we like to give him a lot of flack, but Buki. Buki was followed by tons of recruits. Imagine if Buki was making you know a couple hundred thousand dollars a year and was actually backing it up with solid play on the field and was, you know, a big social media star that was showing off. Here's all the money I'm making from NIL. That would be, I think that would be enough to get a lot of guys interested that wouldn't necessarily have to sign up for their amount of money, you know, right up front. I don't think Venables is blind to this guys. I mean, you look at, I think um, last off season heading into the season, I believe DJ, the quarterback Clemson, he was in a Dr. Pepper commercial. Like, I don't think Venables is blind to opening up opportunities for big NIL deals. But guys, I'm not worried about Texas. Sorry, maybe that statement will come back to haunt me. But Texas has been out recruiting us for as long as I can remember. And nothing changes in that program. Now, if you're comparing this to Alabama, Georgia, some of the other big time programs that are actually having success on the field, that's fine. But those guys have been cheating out their ass for the past, you know, 20 years anyway. So that's not new there. So I think there is enough excitement around this program right now that maybe, you know, we will start seeing more deals take place. Um, but this, it doesn't, because it's Texas, it doesn't quite worry me as much as if it was another powerhouse in our backyard and A&M's got to do it consistently for me to be worried about them at the end of the day I guess and my final take on this in my opinion for an 18 year old kid about to graduate high school and play college football it is more appealing to him the short-sighted aspect the fact that I can collect 50 100 150 thousand dollars or if you're Quinn yours you're you're going to be a multi-millionaire from two different schools the short-sightedness and the appeal of being that young, making that much money is going to outweigh to those kids the oper- or the fact that I can go to a place like Oklahoma, probably make less money, but chances are I'm going to have a better opportunity to play in the NFL. That in itself is going to keep, keep Oklahoma from being able to get a guy like a Cam Dewberry or a guy like Cam Williams. I think that the NIL standpoint is going to prevent OU from being able to attract that top-end talent which is what they'll need to win a national championship and moving forward. But it sounds like you're coming at this with like a, this is new. The kids getting paid is new and it's not. It's, it's, it's not new. I mean, Texas and A&M, Alabama, Georgia, they've been paying kids for years. I mean, Oklahoma's done their fair share of things too. Now it's, it's, it's legal. So the level of the extremeness is at a much, much higher level than it's ever been before. I'm not sure I agree. I mean, we. I mean, we we can say it. I mean, Quinn Ewers probably got four or five million dollars. I mean, I think that's you can kind of read the tea leaves. Oh, you can't do that. 
Well, we can sit here and make predictions all day, um, but it, nice. the track record is nice. out there. Our predictions have not been that great. So uh, I went back, I did it so none of you guys had to do it, and I listened to some old podcasts from before uh, the season started, and I compiled some of the best and the worst uh, predictions that we made. So we won't go through all of these, but I did want to highlight some of the worst and some of the best. And uh, let's start with one that basically all of us got wrong. And that was predicting where Baylor would finish in the Big 12. Um, I had him at the lowest position. I had Baylor at nine. Tyler, you had Baylor at eight at uh, only five and seven. And then Corbin, uh, you also had Baylor at nine at at four and eight. So none of us had Baylor with a winning record. Um, Nowhere close to a Big 12 championship game. What What did we miss here? I do remember all of us being if there, I, that was a sleeper for for us that we all mm-hmm. discussed if I remember correctly that Baylor lost almost every game except for I think the Oklahoma State game in 2020 by like less than a score. If there was a team that was going to turn around and make a big splash, I think we all kind of circled that one. Um, I mean, yeah, we were wrong on a lot of fronts. It was a, a crazy weird year. At the end of the day, yeah, there's a lot of red in our script right now, not a lot of green <laughs> of things we got right. <laughs> I think that's across college football, though, for everybody. I mean, 2021 has been has been crazy. And I think in regards to Baylor, um, I don't know if we truly put uh, a big enough emphasis on, yes, they went two and seven, but it was Dave Aranda's first year, and it was right in the middle of COVID. So he wasn't maybe able to do everything that he was wanting to do. Uh, and obviously it was the ride higher, and it paid off um, than winning the Big 12. Uh, but no, we could not have been more wrong on Baylor. One of the tougher conferences to predict was the Pac-12 I had USC beating Washington in the championship game there. Corbin had the uh, reverse of that. Uh, Tyler, you nailed this one. You had Utah over Oregon uh, right off the bat. What gave you so much confidence uh, going into the season for the Utes? I I just, I liked what Kyle Winningham had, especially on defense. Um, It's kind of crazy the fact that I picked him to win the Pac-12 knowing Charlie Brewer is going to be starting quarterback, Uh, but he's going to be at Liberty now. Congratulations, Adam. Um, but I think I think I think it just kind of worked out for them. They got hot at the right time. They were playing their best football at the very end of the season, um, and it probably didn't help too that USC was as bad as they were, and Oregon maybe wasn't as good in the second half of the season. And I mean, you look at Cam Rising, TJ Pledger, Tavion Thomas. I mean, Utah's hot right now. There's probably not you know four or five better teams in America playing better football right now than Utah. So yeah, it's a good pick yeah. on my part. Yeah, it was great um, from the ACC. All of us picked Clemson, and uh, there's really no discussion around that. I think that was pretty much across the board, national, every type of media person. Um, not that we're big-time media people or anything, but um, if you looked anywhere out there, everyone had Clemson. So uh, I don't think you can fault us too much for that one. Although I did have Wake Forest as my sleeper there. Um, pretty much nailed that one. And then from a Big Ten perspective, also had Iowa as my sleeper. Uh, Corbin, you had Iowa as your uh, Big Ten championship game participant alongside OSU. So um, some pretty good picks there from a conference winner standpoint. We did uh, some other questions as well as far as um, you know placing your bets, and I'm, I'm excited to get back into that segment as we get into the offseason again. But uh, one of the ones, Corbin, that you asked both Tyler and myself was, what would be more likely, Spencer Sanders uh, being all Big 12 quarterback or Texas winning a Big 12 title? Tyler, you were adamant. There was no way Spencer Sanders was going to be the all Big 12 quarterback, and lo and behold, that's what happened. Well, how was I supposed to know that uh, throwing 16 touchdowns and 12 interceptions was going to be good enough to earn you first-team quarterback? So I, I'm going to die on that hill. He threw, four, he threw four interceptions in the Big 12 title game. So um, you guys can think what you want, but no, he is he is not the best quarterback in the Big 12, not not top three, maybe not even top five. I would love to revisit this. Like, please just give me, like, two names that are, that are, that are better. He beat them. He beat them all. Yeah, I, I don't know who you can put ahead of him. And I mentioned that on the pod before the season started that I could see uh, you know, that potentially happening just from lack of good names out there. And that's, so, that's what happened. So was he voted first-team All-Big 12 quarterback because he's the best quarterback in the team? Or is it because he was the quarterback on the best team in the regular season and it was just a byproduct of that? Who was a better quarterback, Tyler? I, are you asking me who was a better quarterback? Like who would I take instead of him? No, no, who 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 is no, the best who quarterback in the Big Twelve? Who is a better quarterback? <laughs> well, I think you can make the argument that the kid playing at Baylor was was better than Spencer Sanders. We'll make I, that I, argument I, then. Like, make make some arguments here. You can't I don't have the, I don't I don't have I don't have, have the I don't have the stats in front of me. I didn't know we were going to get into that, but no, I don't. I don't think me personally. I I think that uh, the the quarterback at Baylor 
Uh, I would take Caleb Williams over him. Um, no, I, I don't think he was uh, – he wouldn't be my first team All-Big 12 quarterback, not because he's a, he's a poke or, you know, he goes to Oklahoma State or anything like that. But, I mean, guys, 16 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, 64.2 QBR percentage, 55th in the country out of 125 quarterbacks or whatever. I mean, what, four of those interceptions came in the last game of the season. That doesn't take them away, but so he had 16 touchdowns and eight interceptions heading into the conference championship yeah. game. Those aren't bad numbers by any stretch. Is that what we've grown accustomed to seeing with Big 12 quarterback play? No, that's not anywhere close to it. But guess what? Nobody was anywhere close to what we're seeing traditionally at the quarterback position in this conference. So it sounds crazy that those numbers would get you the number one spot. Do I think he is the best overall quarterback in the conference? Probably not. But what he did this year probably was 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 better than almost everybody. Well, this this conversation will continue in the offseason because Sanders still has another year of eligibility. So we'll have plenty of, of, of chances to talk <laughs> about this. So um, a few others to, to wrap up this section. Um, Corbin, you asked, uh, would Clay Helton be at USC in 2022? Or is it more likely that Steve Sarkeesian is at the University of Texas in 25. We found out the answer to that pretty quickly into the season. One of my worst predictions, I predicted that Clay Helton would still be at USC. Yikes, uh, don't want to get into that one right now. Um, and then the last one here that I wanted to highlight. Uh, one did- thing, I mean, we will have to discuss this in 2025. I mean, it's not over. They could both be fired and it become a wash. Well, Adam, don't be so hard on yourself. I mean, USC and had Lincoln Riley hired in September. So, I mean, that's true. How, how do we know <laughs> that was going to happen? That's that's very fair. Um, the, uh, the last one here, I won't go through all these, but we predicted category leaders across the board from a statistical standpoint. But I think the one that was most God. interesting to me was um, who would lead the team in rushing yards. And uh, Corbin, you really nailed this one. You picked Kennedy Brooks. And specifically mentioning uh, mentioning that backs like Eric Gray haven't been utilized right in Lincoln's offense. Um, perfect analysis before the season started. And we saw that really come to fruition as well. Um, I also picked Kennedy Brooks, but I didn't have such a strong take, so I won't take nearly as much credit. Uh, Tyler, of course, picked Eric Gray because uh, he has a a lack of eye for talent. So uh, (laughs) uh, we will, we will not let the Spencer Sanders take go. Um, That will, will come back to haunt you here. Let's get in quickly to uh, some other sports updates. We'll get into these a little bit more as the, the off season continues. Um, we're not just fans of OU football. Um, we all want every single program to do really well. So let's kick it off with men's basketball. Corbin, give us a quick update there. Yeah, if either basketball coach uh, had the five seconds on this pod to speak their piece, they'd probably say about damn time, right? Uh, these two programs are playing really good basketball right now. Uh, starting off men's basketball, eight and two start for Porter Mosier's crew, I think possibly the best start we could have asked for. Um, no doubt about that whatsoever. So, you know, last weekend with the huge win over number 12 and previously unbeaten Arkansas, game start off for a 13-0 run for the Sooners. Uh, Arkansas made runs throughout the game, but uh, Sooners always seemed to answer and they ended up the game on a 27-9 run. Uh, Elijah Harkless led the way with 21 points, 11 boards. Guys, Tanner Groves, well, I've got some questions about him when it comes to Big 12 play. Uh, you know, been by far the player of the year for this team, averaging a little over 15 points a game on the season. Uh, and the defense so far only giving up about 61 points per game so far. You're going to win a lot of games when you're holding teams that low, especially in today's basketball. So kind of fast forwarding to the upcoming schedule, two very winnable games against, uh, you know, hosting UT Arlington on the 19th, Alcorn State on the 22nd. Those teams are combined four and 12. If you don't win both those and win both those comfortably, there's going to be something wrong heading into Big 12 play, which begins on January 1st, hosting K-State. And then, guys, we get to, you know, what we should expect uh, from this conference. The next three games at number one, Baylor versus number 11, Iowa State at number 17, Texas uh, for your games two, three and four in this conference. So it's going to be a gauntlet the whole way through. Um, Again, I, I think this is a middle of the pack. Probably Big 12 team, if I had to guess, they're going to win some. They're going to lose some. They're probably going to win a couple they shouldn't. They're probably going to lose a couple they shouldn't. Um, but I'm going to be very interested to see, especially in the paint, Tanner Groves, some of the bigger guys, can they hold up against the size and the strength of what is inside in this conference in the Big 12? They're going to be tested night in, night out. So we'll, we'll see what they do. But guys, tell you what, I mean, there's a, there's a renewed excitement around the basketball program right now. It's amazing what a passionate, energetic, uh, hard-nosed coach can bring to a program. That's exactly what Porter Mosier is doing right now uh, for the men's basketball team. 
when we always talk about the importance of non-conference wins for for the OU men's basketball team, when you talk about the gauntlet that is the Big 12 Conference, and I mean, you know, an 8-2 record with two top 15 wins over Florida and Arkansas. I saw a tweet after the game Saturday uh, from Tyler McComas. In both of those ranked wins over SEC teams, Oklahoma trailed for a combined 55 seconds. So really, really good play in the two biggest games of the year for Porter Moser staff. And guys, you know, both of our losses, Utah State and Butler, were games that we were in control of. Yep. most of the time and just couldn't close it out in the final four minutes. So um, obviously uh, OU found a way uh, against Arkansas to close the game out. That's got to give you, uh, that's got to be very positive if you are Porter Mosier. And, you know, guys, the Big 12 is brutal, but if there's one thing that can give me a little bit of confidence going forward, like you brought up the fact that defense has only given up 61 points, in college basketball, shooting may not travel, but defense does. So if OU can play defense really, really consistently, night in and night out and play it well, OU's going to have a chance to win most of their games in the Big 12. All the good things you mentioned there, you know, the big wins, energetic, uh, energetic, passionate coaching, all applies to women's basketball as well. Mm -hmm. They're probably even more of a surprise, though, uh, coming out of the gate here. Uh, Tyler, what's the update for the women's team? Yeah, OU women's basketball, man. Uh, coming back from a 10-point deficit on Friday night, knockoff uh, number 16 BYU in, in overtime. Uh, they scored 99 points doing it. You know, Maddie Williams, she's been on fire for the Sooners. Um, she had 25 points, 14 rebounds last game. That was her third straight double-double. Uh, so shout-out to Maddie for that performance. And then, you know, we can't say enough good things about Taylor Robertson, uh, the sharpshooter. She knocks down four more threes on her way to, to a 23-point performance. Um, this victory for OU, OU's nine and one on the season. It's our and it was our first home ranked win I think since December of 2019. So you know if your head coach uh, Jenny Baranchek, uh, forgive me if I pronounce that wrong. I've said that a million times. I don't know if even in the preseason when you were uh, you know thinking about expectations for your team, I don't know if you could have even envisioned how good of a start this team has had uh, coming out of the gate. You know nine and one to start. The only loss was by five points to Oregon, who was ranked number nine at the time. We've won six in a row. Next game is for, uh, for the Sooners. It's going to be on Tuesday, December 21st. Guys, get out there and support this team. Jenny's got this program moving in the, in the right direction. And Corbin, you talked about the passion and the energy from Porter Mosier. I feel like culture is a word that we've been that we've thrown around a ton over the last month or so when it comes to OU athletics. Patty Gasso's created a championship culture uh, with OU softball. Mark Williams, KJ Kindler have definitely got it going on for the gymnastics program. I think we're pretty confident that we're going to see it from Brent Venables in football. And guys, you can definitely tell. I know we're only through the first month of the season. There's a newfound energy that, that Mosier and, and Jenny have brought back to both programs at the LNC. So it's a really good time right now to be a basketball fan. And we've got two really good teams going uh, to be supporters of uh, here at the University of Oklahoma. Yeah, and I do want to give a special shout-out to uh, Anna Yanusa. She's basically the Caleb Kelly of the women's basketball program. Been here for a while. I have a magnet on my fridge still, I think, from the 2017 season that she's on. Uh, and uh, she's gone through several injuries. She got hurt again uh, this past uh, weekend. I uh, haven't heard yet if it's serious or if she's going to be able to come back from that. But uh, she's been an absolute stud um, through the first uh, part of the season so far. So hopefully she can get back on track. Amazing what happens, guys, when we um, – this isn't dogging on anybody, but when we have a women's basketball coach with a little passion, a little fire, yeah, some renewed true. energy, what this program could be. Um, we'll, we'll be thankful for what we have now, but it does make you wonder you know, what if this move would have been made earlier, what could have Win happened. Winning games and saving money. Yeah. and What a combo. That's true. I've started to hear some things come out about maybe some personal things that were happening in, in Sherry Cole's live um, the last couple of years. And so maybe that had some effect on it. But um, yeah, it's, it's exciting for the future of OU women's basketball. Uh, we'll wrap up here with our final segment of the evening. Uh, we uh, want to do give some big props to Corbin for finishing first in our beers and bets, uh, uh, I guess, uh, competition throughout the season. Final record, 33-39-3. <laughs> it sounds so funny to say, but um, go down the line, Tyler, 33-40-2, uh, myself with 31-43-1. So we were all very, very close there. I'm kicking myself for going with the reverse strategy for one week too long. Um, that really hurt me there. But uh, Corbin will get the trophy into the transfer portal. Uh, it is in Tyler's Maybe. domain currently. Uh, we did not have a trophy last year, but I will note that I won last year. So technically it's going from the portal from me to Corbin 
And uh, we will do everything possible to keep it out of Tyler's hands uh, in future seasons as well. Corbin, the stage is yours. Yeah, you know, I couldn't just it just it just hit me just a second ago. You know, we're talking about Spencer Sanders and like the poor guy just came up short on like the the one inch line to win the Big Twelve championship, and I just can't help but to draw some correlations with Tyler losing this <laughs> the final week of the season due to a tiebreaker of uh, you know a, a basically a wash. So. You know, maybe it's one of those things where just Tyler sees himself in Spencer Sanders and he just hates it so much. And that's why he just can't get on board with it. That's all I got. But guys, it was a fun, it was a fun year. We all freaking suck. Uh, but you know, it was a, uh, it was a good time going through it. Yeah. That's what I, I guess I, I, lo- I lost this trophy because I picked OU to cover. Uh, I think the first four or five weeks of the season, we all know how that turned out. So um, if I'm going to go down with the ship, uh, at least I went down support my team. So we'll figure it out. Hopefully this trophy makes it out to you uh, in one piece. It'd be a real, real shame if it got lost in transit. I owe everything to the Kansas Jayhawks. That's all I got. <laughs> That's true. Hopefully uh, next so year. So does we'll... Quinn yours. <laughs> yeah, we will continue that. Uh, we won't stop with our predictions, no matter how bad they might be, um, both with beers and bets and otherwise. But um, that's going to be a wrap for us this evening. We appreciate everyone listening. If you haven't made it this far, um, feel free to give us a, a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We greatly appreciate that. That's helping us really grow our podcast. So if you've enjoyed it, um, definitely take some time to do that. It takes about 30 seconds. And uh, give us a follow on Twitter as well at the Mainline Pod. And we will see everyone again here next week.